0: Hey everybody, it's Steph, hope you're doing well. This is uh, just a bit of an article deconstruction. Uh, This is, um, you can Google the terms if you want, it doesn't really matter who wrote it, but I think it's an interesting article to look at from a philosophical standpoint. So it says here, free spirits, the ambitious ex-socialists, drug users, and sexual eccentrics. Oh good, at least I'm not one of those. Often find an attractive political philosophy in libertarianism, the idea that individual freedom should be the sole rule of ethics and government. Libertarianism offers its believers a clear conscience to do things society presently restrains, like make more money, have more sex, or take more drugs. It promises a consistent formula for ethics, a rigorous framework for policy analysis, a foundation in American history, and the application of capitalist efficiencies to the whole of society. But while it contains substantial grains of truth, it is, as a whole, a seductive mistake. (laughs) There are many varieties of libertarianism, from natural law libertarianism, the least crazy, to anarcho-capitalism, the most, and some varieties avoid some of the criticisms below. But many are still subject to most of them, and some of the more successful varieties I recently heard a respected pundit insist that classical liberalism is liberalism, enter a gray area where it is not really clear that they are libertarians at all. But because 95% of the libertarianism one encounters at cocktail parties, on editorial pages, and on Capitol Hill is a kind of commonplace street libertarianism, I decline to allow libertarians the sophistical trick of using a vulgar libertarianism to agitate for what they want by defending a refined version of their doctrine when challenged philosophically. We've seen Marxists pull that before. So it's very interesting. Uh, I don't believe that there's anything true uh, in that, um, but it's really well written, and that's what's one of the challenges of really of really good writers uh, is um, is they catch you kind of on a a roll, on a wave, and things seem to make sense that don't actually make sense. So. They often find an attractive political philosophy, and its believers, and so on. You will always see with this kind of sophistry an attempt to turn philosophy into aesthetics. Philosophy into aesthetics. So one of the most amazing tricks of the sophist is to turn philosophy into aesthetics. So, in other words, people find this philosophy attractive, like you would find a Ming vase or a Modigliani attractive. Do you see? It's it's brilliant. It's beautiful. Uh, and you say libertarianism offers its believers. Right? So it's just something you believe in, um, something you prefer, something you like, something that appeals to you. And I'm sure that's true of anybody, uh, a bunch of people in any bunches of movements, but he's not addressing the truth or falsehood. The idea that individual freedom should be the sole rule of ethics and government. Well... I don't think that individual freedom is the sole rule of ethics. Now, you could say the idea that people should not initiate force against each other is a morally valid position. Do you see how that sounds very different than individual freedom? Freedom is one of these words that is like an empty vessel. It's like a god. You can project whatever you want into it. If people say this about liberty and about society and, and democracy and, and the, the social good and, and what is practical and what is commonsensical. These are just empty words. They're vacuum words. Uh, they sit there as a, a big gas giant of, of emptiness waiting for you to project whatever you want into the word. And so it seems like people are making sense when, when they're really not, right? But individual freedom should be the sole rule of ethics and government. But individual freedom doesn't mean much to people. And he immediately switches... Right, because he switches the definition of freedom without explicitly saying so. So it certainly is true that a lot of libertarians will talk about individual freedom. What they mean is freedom from coercion, freedom from, uh, fundamentally what libertarianism is about, property rights and the non-initiation of force, the non-aggression principle of the NAP. But then he says, it's, it's brilliant the way he does it. I know, it's not planned, and this is just the way people's minds work. It's wonderful, though. He says individual freedom should be the sole rule of ethics and government. And he says, Libertarianism offers its believers a clear conscience to do things society presently restrains, like make more money, have more sex, or take more drugs. So now, it's the freedom to make more money, have more sex, or take more drugs. That's what individual freedom has been redefined as. And that's wonderful. <clears throat> I mean, that's just brilliant. Um, a seductive mistake. Well, I... <laughs> I think that that's actually accurately describes something to do with this. Um, so then he he wants to differentiate between libertarianism and vulgar libertarianism, which is what Marxists do as well, and it doesn't really matter. Uh, it's not so important. So he says uh, to the next paragraph says this is no surprise as libertarianism is basically the Marxism of the right. Isn't that great? That seems to have like a click, like a framework, like a mechano model goes into place. If Marxism is the delusion that one can run society purely on altruism and collectivism then libertarianism is the mirror image delusion that one can run it purely on selfishness and individualism. That's wonderful. So, I don't think he's read anything about Marxism, and I don't think he's read anything serious about libertarianism. Um, You know, Marx and... They wrote a lot. Lenin wrote a lot. Uh, Marxist theoreticians you know, fill uh, warehouses full of of microfilm, I think not even books, and I don't think that Marx ever said that society should be run purely on altruism and collectivism unless by collectivism you mean a tyrannical state that seizes control of the means of production and holds them in trust for the workers and workers control the means of production that's, I mean, altruism and collectivism uh, I don't think he ever talked about altruism. And this is, I mean, you don't even have to go outside of Marx to understand this. I mean, if Marx saw, thought that society could be run on altruism, then he would have to explain why society, the society of his time he considered so evil, if it were possible. And libertarianism is the mirror image delusion that one can run it purely on selfishness and individualism. Well, I don't know what libertarianism has to do with selfishness, and I certainly don't know what it has to do with individualism. Libertarianism says we should not initiate the use of force against each other, and we should respect property rights. I don't know how that has anything to do with what is called selfish, or what is called individualistic, um, because it applies to everyone universally. And it seems to me that libertarianism is the opposite of individualism, because There can't be any groups in society that have any kind of validity if those groups are not constituted or composed of voluntary members. I mean, I can't call a bunch of people I kidnap and lock in my basement my family and have anyone really believe it. I can't call uh, a woman currently screaming in the trunk of my car all bound up in duct tape my girlfriend, right? The the terms that we have for, for society, the terms that we have for groups They only make any kind of sense if these things are not voluntary. This is why the government-forced redistribution of income is not charity, just like rape is not lovemaking, just like theft is not loaning, because it's the element of force. Once you put the element of force into human relationships, you can't call them by anything voluntary. So in terms of society, there really only can be such a thing as society when all relationships are voluntary, at least under the rule of law. And so I don't know what selfishness has to do with it or individualism versus collectivism or anything like that. I mean, libertarians uh, can, can form themselves into group and, and consistently do. And, and libertarians will do that group forming and have been shown to do it in the past, or maybe not libertarians, but society, when you take away forced or enforced relationships, like you and your public school, <laughs> When you take away enforced relationships, spontaneous, voluntary, productive relationships, automatically rise to fill the gap. So, I, you know, people just, just, just labels. These are just, it's argument by adjective. Well, Marxism is about altruism and <laughs> libertarianism is about selfishness and individualism. No, libertarianism is just about put down the guns and let's talk. Let's reason with each other. Let's trade with each other. Let's negotiate with each other. Let's disagree with each other. Let's just not fucking shoot each other. I mean, that's really all libertarianism is about. Let's just put down the weapons and start dealing with each other like civilized human beings. Anyway, so he says, society, in fact, requires both individualism and collectivism, both selfishness and altruism to function. Well, I mean, again, it's a false dichotomy, right? This is the um, Hegelian thesis, antithesis, synthesis. You know, um, the idea that you, you, one group puts forward collectivism, and that's the Marxists, and then another group uh, puts forward radical individualism, and that's the libertarians, and the truth is somewhere in between, there's a mixture of both things. Yeah, you know, like I'm sure most Hegelians say uh someone comes up to them and says uh, uh listen uh, I want to uh, cut both your arms off and the Hegelian would say listen I know where this is going. I'm not even going to debate that we should have none of my arms cut off. Let's just settle on one arm because that's in the middle. Uh and it's a distortion of the Aristotelian mean, right? The old idea that that uh, to be to be too angry is to be uh is to be choleric or to be irascible or or whatever. And to not be angry enough is to be lily-livered, yellow-backed, cowardly or whatever. But finding the right amount of anger, you know, if you're too brave, you're foolhardy. If you're not brave enough, you're a coward. Finding the right amount of bravery is tough. And this idea has been taken over. So this idea, there's this mean, there's this thing in the middle, you know, you need a blend. And and it's been advanced, of course, by uh, a lot of uh, psychology where you're not supposed to reject any parts of yourself and accept all parts of yourself, which I think is a great idea, but society is not a part of your, yourself but it's a misreading I mean Aristotle never meant that you should have a medium amount or a mean amount of ax murdering that wasn't that wasn't the plan of the Aristotelian idea but um, society in fact and, and of course sorry the other thing I wanted to say was that he says that one can run society based purely on selfishness and individualism well the purpose of not uh, the, the purpose of libertarianism is not to run society is, is a fundamental recognition that you cannot do something called run society without violence, without initiating the use of force. And so you, you can't run society. It's like you actually say that, that, well, hitting your wife, that's really bad. Not hitting your wife is really bad. You need to both hit her and not hit her at various times because you can't run your women Without a mixture of hitting and not hitting. I mean, there'd be so much that would be offensive in that, right? <laughs> so much that would be offensive in that to everyone. Um, you can't run your women and you can't run society. There's no, it's not a train. It's, it's, it's billions of human beings making tens of thousands of decisions a day. You, you can't run that except into the ground. So he says, like Marxism, libertarianism offers the fraudulent intellectual security of a complete a priori account of the political good without the effort of empirical investigation. Like Marxism, it aspires, overtly or covertly, to reduce social life to economics. And like Marxism, it has its historical myths and a genius for making its followers feel like an elect unbound by the moral rules of their society. Well, the idea that libertarians, and particularly libertarian ec- economists, and particularly the Austrian school, that they have not done empirical research—I mean, just read Rothbard on the, um, the Great Depression. I mean, huge amounts of empirical research have been done. Uh, in the uh, in fact, libertarianism is responsible for a lot of the historical reevaluation of things like the um, the Industrial Revolution and the uh, stock market rise in the nineteen twenties and the Great Depression. So again, I don't know what that means to say. Doesn't have the effort of empirical, and most libertarians that I have ever talked to have done a huge amount of empirical research into the history of alternatives to government roads, and I mean how the FCC distributes airwaves, and I mean it's crazy, right? So yeah. Anyway, what does that? What can you say? And unbound by the moral rules of their society. I mean, libertarians are very interested in moral rules, there's no question of that. All right, the most fundamental problem with libertarianism is very simple. Freedom, though a good thing, is simply not the only good thing in life. Simple physical security, which even a prisoner can possess, is not freedom, but one cannot live without it. Prosperity is connected to freedom in that it makes us free to consume, but it is not the same thing, in that one can be rich, but as unfree as a Victorian tycoon's wife. A family is, in fact, one of the least free things imaginable, as the emotional satisfactions of it derive from relations that we are either born into without choice, or, once they are chosen, entail obligations that we cannot walk away from with ease or justice. But security, prosperity, and family are in fact the bulk of happiness for most real people and the principal issues that concern governments. Again, um, we're talking about freedom from violence, not freedom to... Do some Nietzschean Übermensch leap over the moral rules of your society? We're just talking. It's nothing complicated, and and of course you have to avoid that basic fact, because then the whole construct falls apart. But it's it's just freedom from the initiation of force. I mean, can you imagine this? Right. So you you go uh, you go to a woman and you say, listen, I mean, not getting raped is a good thing, for sure. Okay, but it's not the only good thing in life, and there are other things you know wherein a rape is necessary and good. I mean, it would be ridiculous. But rape is the, being subject to the initiation of force, which is what libertarianism opposes. It's not that complicated. But you have to complicate it, turn it into aesthetics, turn it into a balance of humorous kind of nonsense. And, yeah, I mean, <clears throat> bonding with the family, yeah, the family, my daughter did not choose to have me as a father. Uh, my wife chose to have me as a husband. My daughter did not choose to have me as a father. So it's incumbent upon me to act in such a way that if when she's older she could choose any father in the world that she would choose me just as I think about those in terms of my wife if she could uh, at any time in our marriage choose to switch swap me out for somebody else uh, then how would I act if that were a possibility that's that's the freedom called love <laughs> if we're gonna really start misusing the word freedom. Uh, libertarians try to get around this fact that freedom is not the only good thing by trying to reduce all other goods to it through the concept of choice, claiming that everything that is good is so because we choose to partake of it. Therefore, freedom, by giving us choice, supposedly embraces all other goods. I- I've never heard that argument. Maybe he's been talking to other libertarians than I have over the past 25, or, oh my God, it's 30 years, uh, almost 30 years. Um, no, uh, uh, freedom is... Necessary because freedom from violence is essential. Uh, because violence is immoral. The initiation of force is immoral. I mean, that's... It's not just because I get to choose things when somebody doesn't have a gun to my head. It's that somebody has a gun to my head. That is the problem. So let's hear. Um, But this violates common sense by denying that anything is good by nature, independently of whether we choose it. Nourishing foods are good for us by nature, not because we choose to eat them. Taken to its logical conclusion, the reduction of the good to the freely chosen means that there are no inherently good or bad choices at all, but that a man who chooses to spend his life playing tiddlywinks has lived as worthy a life as a Washington or a Churchill. Um, In many ways, you could argue that, I mean, he'd lived a better life life because at least he wasn't out there killing people anyway um yeah i don't the fact that i get to choose things doesn't mean that all choices are equal and i've never heard any libertarian argue that so it's just a just a straw man anyway i sort of don't want to keep going but i want to point out that there are a couple of interesting things in this essay which is that um uh, people will very often try to take that which is the good which is moral and turn it into a kind of aesthetics and then say that the moments that you're rigid or absolute about your morality, this is the equivalent of being rigid or absolute about aesthetics. And I mean, Ayn Rand and so other people have fallen into this trap by arguing that Beethoven is inherently anti-life or, you know, morbid or whatever, Mendelssohn is great and all that sort of stuff. And you gotta watch for that trick. It's a, it's a, it's a creepy and dangerous trick, but it's very often put into place. So you have to be really careful of it. So uh people will will try to make it an aesthetic and try to reframe a rational philosophical argument like morality as universally preferable behavior, as I've argued. And they'll say, well, you just have a fetish for freedom, or you just have a a fetish for doing whatever you want, or you are averse to any kind of authority over you, or like they'll start to use words to do with aesthetics or emotions or subjective states in order to frame your adherence to two and two making four as some peculiar emotional attachment to some irrational thing and that's a way to get you to to back off uh, from your position and uh, i mean it's an old 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 trick it was being used uh thousands of years ago it's it's amazingly still common today and i guess not that amazing given how tremulous philosophy is but it's really something to keep an eye on don't let ethics be reframed as aesthetics, as things like choice and preference and sex and drugs and art. And don't, I mean, scientists don't let them do this, right? If somebody says E equals MC squared, there's not a lot of people who would publicly say that whoever says that just has a, a, a fetish for leaking Einstein's equations. I mean, <laughs> so remember just stay on the sunny side of rational empiricism and focus back on the arguments. It doesn't matter whether I like it or not. It doesn't matter whether I prefer it or not. It only matters whether it's true or not. Thank you.